0: So welcome in to episode one of the Baseball From Home Podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. Joe Brand is my co-host, and we're brought to you by the House of L Podcast Network. We are happy to be here, thrilled to have you with us for what should be a crazy ride through the next 57 games of the 2020 MLB season. Well, let's hope there's another 57. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe has been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine and covers the White Sox and Cubs for WGN Radio. You can hear him there. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1McKnight. He is at Joe underscore brand one. Every show, we'll cover the Cubs and the White Sox in no particular order, we'll
1: kick it around the league and hit all the biggest stories, too. And one of the biggest stories right now, we thought Juan Soto was all we had to worry about with COVID. Not quite the case. The Miami Marlins have now come down with four players who are quarantined in Philly, so we'll talk about that. MLB is expanding to 16 teams. No one's ever seen that in baseball before for the playoffs. Should be a fun time. When we get to the Cubs and the White Sox, Pretty much contrasting starting rotations right now. Kyle Hendricks, Tyler Chatwood looking fantastic. Meanwhile, Reynaldo Lopez having some trouble. So did Lucas Giolito, but the White Sox offense, the Bridgeport Bombers we were hoping for.
0: None of this would be possible without David Hochberg and all the fine folks at Team Hochberg. Not only would I not have a roof over my head, but they sponsor the House of L Network and our show as well. I had Team Hochberg wrap up the mortgage from my house here in Wicker Park. They were amazing I had a weird home search, Joe. It was it was very, very strange. I ended up getting approved for two different mortgages because the first place I found I thought was really nice, and then the people who were selling it just jerked me around for the better part of two weeks. But I found this place, ended up putting an offer on that, and I tell you this only to let you know that even with my crazy house search, the only thing I ever heard from the people at Team Hawkburg was – We got you. We got your back. Like even through my convoluted process, Hochberg and his team did nothing but back me up and make sure that I knew I had all the support I needed when I was searching for a home. They will do the same for you. I could not be happier that I went with Team Hochberg and I know you'll feel the same way. Just give them a call, 855-56-DAVID or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS 112-4061. So, Joe, here's where we get to get weird for the people right off the top. We will flip the coin of destiny to begin each and every Baseball from Home podcast. This coin decides whether we start with the White Sox or the Cubs. Here's the beauty of podcasts, though. If you're a Cubs fan and we end up going with the White Sox first, just fast-forward to the Cubs part, or vice versa. If you're a Sox fan and we end Cubs first, you can just fast-forward to the part you want. You ready for the coin flip, Joe?
1: I'm ready, but just just keep in mind, you don't have to fast-forward, but we just were nice (laughs) enough to give you the luxury to do that.
0: That's true. I've been out of the game so long, I'm I'm begging people to just (laughs) fast-forward through content and not Connor, to keep them on task! right, here we go. It is... Oh, this is all kinds of drama. Tales, which as always means the White Sox come first. White Sox for tails here on the Baseball From Home podcast. Joe, I'll let you pick where we start here, um, but only because I demand where we start on the Cubs, so I'm, like, deferring to the second half. But the White Sox, to start their season against the Minnesota Twins, who, good God, can they hit the baseball, uh, are now in a really weird spot after so much promise and fun to begin a season. Of course, I'm taking out all of the COVID storyline and all of the nonsense that's going on in our world around us, but things have not started for the White Sox the way I know a lot of people had hoped, including myself.
1: No, and I think heading into this year, we knew that, okay, the rotation was probably going to be the biggest question, and it's kind of continuing to be the biggest question, but the offense seems to be there. Luis Robert seems to be the real deal in the major leagues, so that's promising, but I don't know where to start because everything holds so much value. There's a lot of questions with Reynaldo Lopez with what he did today. Aloy Jimenez still has trouble finding the wall, or I guess avoiding the wall in left field like he did today. Uh, as far as we know, Ricky Renneria said in the postgame that uh, he was just a little dizzy. They'll reevaluate tomorrow. So, I mean, it's it's very imperative that he stays fresh with the offense. But, I, I mean, this, this rotation... When you, you match up this rotation and this offense, you feel, okay, there's a little wiggle room. And we thought we saw it on opening day with Lucas Giolito has a little bit of a rough start. Bam, Yoan Mankata hits a three-run homer, tie game. All of a sudden, Giolito's got his fastball command, but then it goes downhill again. So I just think the inconsistency of the rotation right now is, is what's most questioning. But again, Dallas Keuchel looked fantastic.
0: Yeah, you know, so full disclosure, Ronaldo Lopez went two-thirds, he gave up three hits, four runs, all of them Ernie's, walked to one home run. And, and the really troubling thing there is that he got the first two out in that inning and then just completely, like, cheap lawn furniture just folded in on himself. And that's the last thing you wanted to see from this kid. I think, Joe, I think where I, I have to begin with the White Sox here is the decision-making process that goes into this first season, right? There, there is a temptation, I think, for fans, for managers, for front offices to not be on the same page when we start this season. I think everybody who loves baseball has read Jason Stark's piece in The Athletic uh, that did the math on what this 60-game season is. And if you haven't, here's what it looks like. Each win is essentially worth 2.7 wins. That's what it should feel like if this were 162 game season each loss is worth 2.7 losses so every time you make a decision about a lineup about a starter about a rotation about a bullpen it's going to feel so much bigger and we're all like we're all so trained as baseball fans to say it's early it's a lot of time there's a whole bunch of games left and that's just not the case anymore so when we look at you know a couple of decisions that the White Sox have made going into this opening season, opening series rather, against the Twins, Reynaldo Lopez being the third starter over Dylan Cease, starting a, in a series against the Twins, when they had told you that they were very thrilled about the work he did in the shortened offseason, despite velocity not really looking like it used to look with Reynaldo Lopez, I raise an eyebrow. When Yohan Mancata doesn't start every single game against the Minnesota Twins, and, you know, Renneria said afterward that it's, uh, you know, they want to give him time to recover. He himself is recovering from COVID. And if if that's the case, if he needs recovery time from that, I get it. That is a, a brutal path back for so many people. And Mankata has had it much easier than most, it sounds like. But to miss that guy, that stud... In a series against the Twins, well, you, you see where that kind of leaves you short lineup wise, and this wiggle room that you talked about goes away real quick if that bat's not there, and a guy like Danny Mendick is.
1: One of your arguments in your intro of this podcast was and I don't mean to bring up the Cubs just out of nowhere, but you were talking about the pros and cons of having Kyle Schwarber as the DH or not, and basically your argument was it's more valuable to have Wilson Contreras as the pitch framer than. Uh, Kyle Schwarber taking over on that DH spot. So with opening day and Ricky Reneria choosing to go with Yasmani Grandal over James McCann, I get it. Grandal signs this great contract. He's a great hitter. Mm-hmm. He walks. I mean, he's great to have up more towards the top of the lineup. But I do put into question it because James McCann and Lucas Giolito had such great camaraderie last season. I think that's a perfect spot to just put Grandal as the designated hitter. It almost seemed like because it was opening day, because of all the moves the White Sox made, they had to have this big sign, look at our new team, look at all these new shiny pieces we've got. And they're all great moves and they're all great players, but I almost feel like because the offense is so deep, you'd rather make sure your starting pitcher as as comfortable as can be because if the offense needs to bail you out, there's more likely a chance for that to happen.
0: I mean at this point, you know, we're talking about offenses bailing teams out and that's you know that's fine, that's the hope over 60 games for the White Sox. But I'm looking at the leaderboard right now. Nikki Delmonico has nine at bats for the White Sox. Yoan Mancata has nine at bats for the White Sox. I there there's I struggle. I, I honestly God struggle with that. Um, I, I like some of the signs I saw from the offense. I want Nelson Cruz to never again play against the White Sox. That's just, I don't think I'm going to get my wish there. But I do think I'm going to get my wish that the White Sox offense rebounds. I'm going to, I guess I can throw a little bit of, of water on the fire here and kind of cool things some. With Lucas Giolito, I, I don't worry when mechanically he gets a little goofy, which is what I think he looked like in his opening day start. And the reason I don't worry about it is because we saw him throw one of the worst seasons a full-time starter has thrown in a long time in his first full year with the White Sox. And he he rebounded from that. Learning that process, Joe, you know, covering minor league baseball so long, learning how to fail and how to rebound from failure is as important as having a skill set in, in major league baseball. It just is. End of story. Full stop. That Lucas Giulietto has learned that lesson and how to apply that to his own game makes me kind of just want to hop right over the Lucas Giolito opening day start. He I mean, could prove me wrong, but I'm not all that worried about it.
1: No, I I should say I'm not here to bash Lucas Giolito or Rick Renteria's lineup construction. I know those are uh, very hot topics right now, but I, I'm in full belief that Giolito can bounce back from that because he kind of did as that game progressed. Um The Reynaldo Lopez situation today, like you said, is Dylan Cease a better option? I mean, heck, Carlos Rodon looked pretty good in his uh, exhibition start as well. So you almost wonder of of where the decision-making went into that, why they went one way instead of the other. I I get what you're saying with the value of playing the Twins, especially in a rubber game, and I I get how it's a shortened season and the 2.7, but the one thing is, and this kind of came as a bomb right when opening day happened, 16 teams are going into the playoffs. You could be in third place and make the playoffs, so that... I don't want to say exaggeration. That, that intensity is kind of dulled down a little bit because so many teams are making it into the postseason and so many teams will have the same percentage chance of moving on.
0: So we saw Gio Gonzalez throw his first pitches as a member of the White Sox. It took 16 years, but he finally got to check that box. They weren't encouraging pitches. And I'm not going to bag on the guy because I don't think he was expecting to throw a whole bunch today. That's what happens when Lopez goes out. But, um, you know, injury speculation being what it is in this game, you see velocity tick down for Reynaldo Lopez the way you did, and White Sox fans know what to fear in a situation like that, right? I mean, they are, they have been in a place where you saw one of your guys, one of your dudes out there checking in four five, well, I guess in Michael Kopech's case, it was like six, seven, eight miles an hour slower, mm-hmm. and that really throws alarms up. Here's hoping that the young man is fine and good to go, but with Kopech already choosing to sit out the season, which is his call, and I won't bag him for it, and neither should anybody else, and Lopez potentially missing some time here or at least needing, um, I don't know, a different assignment, a different role to work with the velocity he has perhaps, we are, you know, you're now in a place where Rodon and Gonzalez and Cease... Now take even more of a responsibility on themselves. And I think everybody would have been fine with that if the White Sox were looking to do that for those guys or to those to those guys in the final twenty games. But now we're looking at doing the first three.
1: Yeah, and I mean, heading in, you thought, okay, the back end of that rotation, three, four, five, is their success, is or rather success or failure, is going to determine how well this team does. And I don't think we're out of line to not jump to conclusions or anything, but make aware of what happened to Reynaldo Lopez today because you need to figure out things as quickly as possible. There's no room for error this season. Uh, luckily, you do have Gio Gonzalez to be that guy. I think heading into this year, he knew very well well, yeah, it could be the long-inning middle relief guy, but there's a very good chance I'll wind up in this rotation. I think that's what it looked like it was going to be for Michael Kopech, too, before he chose not to play. Uh, so I guess in that way the Sox are, are beneficial because they've got that depth, but um, it's, it's tough for a player to understand their role, or rather it's tough for a player to not really know what their role is going to be when the first week of the season hits, and then your identity is totally changing. Here's the positive coming out of the White Sox first three games against the Twins, even though they've gone
0: one and two. I don't know about you, but Joe, Luis Robert looks exactly as promised. Yeah, he struck out on a fastball over his nose. Fine, that happens for 22-year-olds. He looks perfect. He looks perfect. He looks exactly like what he's supposed to be with all of the hype and all of that youth.
1: What was his home run today? 419 feet, exit velo, a little over 111. I mean, he got under it. He kind of <sighs> got under it. It just uh, continued to carry. The other thing is, I mean, everyone talks about his defense, but his defense is even that much more valuable when the corner outfielders aren't as consistent. I mean, that dude just covers so much ground. He's able to get great sprint speed. He's, he's got great reads off the bat. It's, it's fantastic to watch him play defense.
0: Let's flip over to the Cubs. They started two and one against the Milwaukee Brewers and got some serious pitching performances from one expected place and one, in my mind, highly unlikely place. Opening day saw Kyle Hendricks throw a- an absolutely fantastic start against the Milwaukee Brewers. The Professor had class in session. Uh, yeah, we'll give you that one for free here on the Baseball at Home podcast. What what I find what I find incredible about Hendricks. Is that he has done what so many pitchers try and do, which is you know kind of reinvent yourself a little bit as you get into your thirties and as you lose some velocity, as you have to kind of you know put some shake with the shimmy, right? He's got his changeups, he's got that sinker, and he's got his fastball, but the curveball, which was a hey, how's your father pitch, a show me pitch last season, is is now a legitimate weapon, and and I get that we live in an era of Rapsodo. And pitch tracks and all, all these kind of um, all these kinds of technological weapons that help shape a pitcher. But for a guy to sit down and do the work over this off season, this one in particular, and make that pitch a weapon while throwing eighty five is incredibly commendable. That guy looked fantastic, and he made Brewers hitters. Looked like they were babies just out of the womb. They were. He was absolutely wonderful.
1: <laughs> it, it was just one of those games where you could sit back on the couch and just observe and not really, like, focus in on exactly what he was doing. It was just, oh, what, what's going to happen next? How, how is he going to make this guy just roll one over to the left side? I Just pinpoint control, pinpoint accuracy, curveball a thing of beauty. I, I mean, that spin had so much tightness to it. Ugh. <laughs> He's uh, He's just, he's just incredible because, like you said, he's able to do that in the offseason. But it, this, this goes back to not only his work ethic, but just his, his raw intelligence and his baseball intelligence. And That's why they keep bringing up Greg Maddox's name, just because of how aware he is of his stuff, how aware he is of the opposing offense, and how he can just tweak things and manipulate things like his pitches because he's just so aware of what his body is able to do.
0: The other part of the Cubs' quality pitching performances in the first three games was Tyler Chatwood. And I I saw you mention it on Twitter, Joe, at Joe underscore brand one, because we self-brand here on the Baseball at Home podcast. He was down. He stayed down in the zone for the most part, and it looked like when he tried to make that cutter ride a little bit or tried to move that four-seamer, which he can't. Jeez, does that move? uh, Tried to put that up in the zone. It was for the most part, in controlled situations. And, you know, I think Cubs fans, you know, last year, I think he put up something like a 112 ERA plus or something like that in, you know, all the different kinds of work that he had. Y- you saw the arsenal come back. You saw the stuff come back for him a little bit. And you know, so much of this is between the ears. But to mess with a Brewers lineup that that has that kind of quality bats... Not quite what they were three years ago, because I think Lorenzo Cain might be on his way out the door, but that's a real nice performance, especially against the division rival. I, I don't know that I count on Tyler Chatwood to do it again, but you got one out of what could be 12 starts. It's a high percentage success rate, at least so far.
1: It's hard for me to think of it as just dumb luck, because the wind was howling out at Wrigley on Sunday. And like, like you mentioned, he kept the ball down. Uh, Lennon, J.D., and Ryan Dempster kept talking about this slider-cutter hybrid that he kept throwing. I, I think the biggest thing about it was it hung around the low 90s. So it was just four or five or six below his fastball, and that almost seemed like the perfect mix of speed for those being his two primary pitches. And he wouldn't go to that fastball, or rather he wouldn't go above the belt in the zone unless he was going for that fastball and at that time the hitter probably thinks okay it's going to be a few ticks shorter or a few ticks slower and then all of a sudden it's right past them. Uh, I, I, incredible adjustments. I, I, like you said I guess I'll be optimistically cautious about it all but he really did show something today.
0: Six innings, eight strikeouts, three hits, one earned, two walks. Those are great numbers for Tyler Chatwood as the Cubs win their second of the year. Two and one over the Brewers, nine to one. The final, the offense has been interesting to watch, especially in that Chris Bryant hadn't had a hit until Sunday. And I'll tell you, Joe, I, I worry some about the Cubs' offense. And I worry about it because of guys like Jason Hayward and Albert Almora and Ian Happ and Nico Horner and just, you know, it's just kind of the profiles that they all have. But when you have Bryant, even though he only got his first hit on Sunday, having the control of at bats that he had in these first three games, this is absolutely one of those where, you know, Hawk Harrison would have screen hang with him two or three times Friday and Saturday. I don't. I'm not worried about Chris Bryant given the kind of a bat he had. Kyle Schwarber probably could have come away from this weekend with an even better stat line than he did. Nine at bats. He's got three hits. He hit the dinger. He's got two driven in. I really. Like the way Kyle Schwarber was, was taking pitches and understanding his strike zone. Wilson Contreras was a monster. If, if they're hitting, if those guys, Schwarber, Contreras, Horner, the way he did, providing some of that offense, I think the rest of it fills in, and now we've got a different conversation around the Cubs, especially given what the Reds did this weekend in handing away a couple of
1: their games late. Death taxes and in a consistently inconsistent Cubs (laughs) offense. I mean, that's pretty much what we've known the past few years. But I, I, I think you're right to be okay with Chris Bryant not coming away with a ton of hits because, like you said, him at the top of the lineup. I mean, Anthony Rizzo could not have been more... Um, complimentary about Chris Bryant's ability to just see pitch after pitch after pitch I mean that's the guy you want leading off of course you want a Dexter Fowler or just somebody that can get on base so for the love of God somebody can drive in some more RBIs but when you when you have a brain like Chris Bryant's leading off the offense I mean this is a guy that's typically level-headed that's typically always uh, in the zone as much as he can be at the plate but even when he's not, he can still benefit this team if he's having those types of at-bats at the top of the lineup. I, I agree with Schwarber. Hopefully this isn't just one of those little surges that he has. Hopefully he can continue that as well. But yeah, the Nico Horner, uh, he's, he's just got that slap up the middle. He's starting to coin in this first opening series. Uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe this Cubs offense is is going to be deeper than we thought I know people are craving for Jason Hayward to move down in the lineup but I mean if these pieces start to really pull together and show some depth it's a lot more of a dangerous Cubs team
0: I I like that Horner seemingly can handle the high fastball the way he's shown so far Um, I don't think he's going to see a lot more of them if he keeps putting the ball back up the middle I think he's going to see slow and low um, a little bit more often. But, hell, for the first week, if he sees a couple of those and is able to move some people around the bases, that's a good thing. I, I don't bring this up, Joe, to take a victory lap or anything. I, I would never. But Kyle Schwarber's been in left field. And if if the Cubs are going to be willing to hang that dude out there and just give him the old thumbs up and a pat on the ass every time he makes a mistake, that that is – I think that's a good thing. I think using that DH other ways makes them more versatile – and, and a, a better ball club because I think be able to be, being able to do more things in 60 games is vastly more important than spreading it out over 162, spreading out that offense and that equal amount of defense where you can. I, I like the way the Cubs
1: approached the first three games of this season. I, I felt it was uh, appropriately aggressive. I'm definitely more on the side of having Kyle Schwarber as a designated hitter, but uh, here are a few reasons why I think it's working. Philistine. Uh, <laughs> it, it can mess with a player's head when all they do is hit, and especially if they're not used to it. I mean, now nowadays we've got professional designated hitters, but I mean, Kyle Schwarber would be catching if it were up to him right now. Um and he probably would be a better catcher than he would be a left fielder but that might play a part in it you just you have to have that that sense of ease at mind to still play the field when you're not batting because all you can do is sit in the dugout and think about how you failed in it at bat but like you said right now it is working with Kyle Schwarber at the plate what he's doing in left field we need a lot more statistics for that but that's beside the point uh I like, again, to your points in the first podcast, the Wilson Contreras pitch framing, I think, is only as valuable as how well the pitcher he is catching is doing. Because umpires are more inclined to give that third strike call if the pitcher's hitting their spots on a borderline spot. If, if the pitcher is sucking it up and hitting all around, and you get a good frame, they're less inclined to get that strike called. So I think it works two ways. Um, And the the other thing I'll throw out there, and it's only because I've seen it live, because National League fans are probably new to this whole designated hitter rule. Mm -hmm. If you've got Wilson Contreras catching and Victor Caratini DHing, and Victor Caratini goes down for whatever reason in the game, or I'm sorry, if uh, Wilson Contreras goes down as the catcher, Victor Caratini's likely your only other catcher. You move him to catcher, you lose that DH for the game. For, and no, you're any, right. You don't. You don't play games to to worry about people getting injured. I totally get that, but I also want to throw that out there for the baseball purists. i would say, oh, there's no structure or strategy in the game anymore. There's still a chance for the pitcher to hit.
0: Oh, oh no, I, I think that's absolutely worth noting, and I, I think that's I I you I could use the hip check to be honest because when you're doing that again when we're when we're playing that kind of strategy over 162. I get to look at you, Joe, and say, "Yeah, well, they've got Bleu in the minor leagues, and he's a call-up away, and then Contreras just catches, and you spread. It's one game, right? right? There's only 57 more of these damn things, so each one of them matters a whole lot more. It's, it's honestly, it's crazy doing our first podcast together too, because I feel a lot more like I'm breaking down the results of a of an NFL game than I am a major league baseball game, right? Like. So much more of this matters than it used to and I and I hope that that helps players Who are gonna be in spots? They wouldn't otherwise be just kind of brush off any irregularity like oh I got to go out and play left today or oh, I'm DHing so much or what I got to come in in the fifth or something like that and just go Oh, well, it's 2020 everything is completely effed up. I'll just do this today everything will be fine and it allows guys who might otherwise get in their head about something to stay out of their noggin and just go ahead and succeed. And that's not just for, you know, Cubs players or White Sox players or whatever. I, I hope that's the case for all of these guys because they're already going out there and risking their health and potentially the health of everybody else in the household with, with going out here and, and playing this game. Look no farther than Juan Soto or the Marlins or, or plenty of other players who will, I promise you, will test positive for this virus
1: over the next handful of weeks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because I said this at the beginning of the year, a team like the White Sox that has a handful of players that are on the verge of getting to the majors or not, once you get up there, of course you're still trying to perform well just because you're a competitor and you're a major league player, but there's just so much more of an emphasis on winning than, all right, kid, what do you got, that that allows them to maybe stay out of their heads so much. Uh, the other thing like you said, breaking it down like a football game—I mean, that—that's kind of fun. I mean, three games into a baseball season, normally you'd be like, "All right, you're making way too much out of all this," but no, now we finally get an opportunity to do. Uh, this is—I can't believe this is my first reference to minor league baseball on the podcast, but now yeah, we're uh,
0: 40 minutes in. that <laughs> <good>. <laughs> uh,
1: It's funny because these games remind me of minor league playoff games because our season's 140 games, and it's pretty much all about. Player development, individual talent, what did this prospect do? And then you get to the playoffs, and it's a best of three series, and there's nobody at the ballpark. And the game is finally about the game. And there's nobody there. And it's so weird because there, there's all this quiet tension, and that's kind of what's going on at the Major League level. So so let's get into a couple of headlines around Major League Baseball then.
0: I I don't know about you, but as the broadcast and i checked out quite a bit from from all over the slate uh saturday and sunday but it seemed like ballpark operations departments got things figured out and the artificial crowd noise that started getting pumped in specifically by the cubs and eventually by the white Sox, like it just (laughs) the audio felt so much better it felt like you were watching a ball game and it i don't really care that the Artificial cheer came two minutes after Ian Happ made the catch at the wall or a couple of seconds after Luis Roberts' home run landed in center field. Like It felt good to me. I, I'm, I'm actually pleased with the, I, I guess, experience of the broadcast that it looks like we're going to get through whatever is, is left of this season.
1: I'm a lot less uncomfortable about it than I thought I would be. You yeah. know, it's easier to say. I'd be more. I'm more comfortable with it. But uh, it was funny the first day. The uh, first day, Cubs and White Sox, the Yankees and Mets were playing each other, and it was so fun to bounce around all the different broadcasts. But the Yes Network and Yankee Stadium, they had a phenomenal crowd noise. It almost really, yeah, even better than the Cubs and the Sox. Uh, it it really sounded like the actual game. And I talked to one of the Mets broadcasters, and he said, "Yeah, the Yankees." Broadcast, or rather, crowd noise setup is even better than what we had at City Field, just a little bit. Um, and now it's fun to bounce around the radio broadcast too. I honestly ex- seem s- sense no difference on the radio broadcast than what an actual game would be. Uh, yeah, I kudos to everyone involved with all those situations because I think it sounded great.
0: The uh, the feel is there, which which I think is important for baseball fans, especially if you're listening to it on the radio. It's very much a feel thing. It's a it's a tactile radio experience. If that makes any sense to you at all, and if you're listening to this podcast, it probably does. There are now going to be 16 teams in Major League Baseball's playoff tournament. I I don't want to chicken little this, but they better not do this damn thing next year. I I it's 2020 and the rules of man have been suspended, right? Like it's just, it's basically Mad Max out there. It's Fury Road and there are no rules. I understand adding teams. I, I don't like the, I don't like doing it at the last minute because here I am on a podcast or here Rob Manfred is on appearances screaming and yelling that the World Series champion of 2020 matters just as much as every year. And then they add six more playoff teams to the damn thing 20 minutes before they start the season. And you're supposed to go, oh, yeah, I believe you, Rob. Like, what the? What, there is no sense to this process. process. There, there is no there's no reason here at all. And I, I get it. If it's going to be a one-off, fine. And if we're going to do this once, okay, I'll find the joy in it. But if there's a whole bunch of ownerships... That stump for sixteen teams from here on out. I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna flip my lid. I I just, I do not want this long term.
1: Well, you know the main reason for all of this. You've you flipped it at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) It it, it comes down to money. It it comes down to money. It's Um, (laughs) funny because I was actually a fan before all this. Everything went down 2020 as a whole. Uh, I was a fan of shortening the season. I I would be fine with 140 games. I know that would never happen, but whatever. 140 and expand the playoffs just a smidge. The only way you can expand it a little bit more, though, is if you give the top team a bye. And that's not really baseball. Um, Neither is a one-game playoff, but the way that they went about all this just makes me realize that yeah, they probably shouldn't expand the postseason any more than, or rather, at all again. Um, and I'm with you. It, it just, it took a lot of edge off the season when they announced it 20 minutes before first pitch, and I feel like a lot of people still forget about it, because everyone, the, the 2.7 is, is very real, yes, 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 but you never were able to make the postseason if you're in fourth place in your division, which is possible now, so that, that is a huge factor of this year.
0: I even with the rough first weekend against the Twins, I think the White Sox make the playoffs, uh, especially with the expanded uh, roster of playoff teams. And I think the Cubs make it, too. So, you know, I, I think it'll be fun to have, you know, your your crosstown playoff teams and the potential of a World Series here in town. I, I think they both make it still. I are you I think you were there coming into the the first weekend of play. Do you remain there?
1: Yes and yes. Uh, I I actually thought that heading into the season, the Sox have a better chance just because of the uh, divisional opponents. I mean, the Cubs have a much harder division than the Sox. Um, But yeah, I I think they're both very capable, yes.
0: So that's, that's if we get to playoffs. Because baseball faced reality the same way everything in our world has faced reality in their first weekend of play. Juan Soto moments before, well, what seemed like moments before the Nationals began their season against the Yankees. Juan Soto tested positive for COVID-19. I, I still don't, and, and many Nationals writers, do not understand the process by which the Nationals and Major League Baseball have to move around uh, I guess it would be city law in Washington, D.C., right, because they're not a state, but there, there are rules there about employees returning to work with COVID that every major league team is going to have to deal with individually. It, it certainly seems like the Nationals flouted a couple of things in Major League Baseball's own COVID-19 protocols and putting players back in and explained it away with, with Soto being not all that exposed, whatever the hell that means. Then you've got the Miami Marlins, who have four players, right Joe? four players? Four players,
1: Who have yes. tested
0: positive, and Don Mattingly is now keeping the team in Philly because no idea, because you have no idea what's going to happen with this. I, from the get-go, I was skeptical that Major League Baseball was going to be permitted to get all 60 games in. This does not help matters, and I, first and foremost, you know, hope for the speedy recovery and and clear recovery of every player, every personnel member who gets, who contracts the virus. But this is a a tangled, tangled knot.
1: This is basically what the MLB, NHL, NBA is trying to avoid uh, because this is what can throw a, a monkey wrench into the season. If the Miami Marlins don't make it back to Miami by Monday, if you're listening to it right now, I mean... That's, that's a whole thing to get around with this whole schedule. There's not a lot of wiggle room to squeeze in a game here or a game there, let alone a series if it ever comes down to that. You were talking about the protocols. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Juan Soto has to test negative for COVID and then has to test negative again at least 24 hours. That's the rule, right? Correct,
0: yes. As, as I understand it and as those who are covering that team understand it too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, as far as I know, last I saw on Twitter, he tested negative two days ago. So either something is delaying the process or something is delaying him coming back. And and I mean, it it goes without saying, the dude had a projected war of 6.6 heading into this year. We're not going to multiply that by 2.7, but still... So, I mean, that's a huge piece of the puzzle for the Washington Nationals moving forward. I mean, we'll get into the Justin Verlander stuff, too, because look at, look at the drop-off from the Houston Astros from 2019. You're without Garrett Cole and possibly Justin Verlander for some a good amount of time.
0: Yeah, it sounds like Justin Verlander is going to get shut down uh, for a couple of weeks, Dusty Baker is saying. It's some forearm tightness, so it looks like uh, MLB.com has an updated news story, so I'll load that too. But, yeah, it sounds like it's a right forearm strain. Uh, a couple of weeks, I mean, you're already getting – if you make every fifth start, you're getting 12 starts. A couple of weeks, chops that down to something like six. And, of course, you know, with when you're the Houston Astros – it's make the dance and then have a healthy Justin Verlander and you'll see what happens um, but a lot of teams don't have that luxury uh, the Marlins are, are basically a minor league team anyway with a very interesting you know farm system no doubt about it but you know that, that doesn't affect the rest of the league all that much I just think Joe you know baseball is already in a touchy spot with as many resources as have been devoted to testing these players and personnel every day the way they are to get back to business, right? There are a lot of people around this country that, that need a test faster than Juan Soto's gonna get his next test and there's an ethical dilemma here. Do then the representatives of the Marlins, the, the managers of Major League, Major League Baseball, the, the office of the commissioner, is there then a responsibility when you have all of this testing going as, as often as it is, do you have a responsibility to then fold up shop when all of this testing can't stop people from picking up the the virus obviously but can't tell you when they do now it has compromised potentially a team you you can't just kick a team out of the league and keep going you've already got the blue jays playing in buffalo for god's sake I, are will major league baseball hold itself to the results they're going to pull up and and i think the answer is going to be no i think that's going to piss a lot of people off
1: yeah i think so too i mean that's that's why there was so much of a hold back for sports to resume altogether, let alone just baseball. I mean, granted, the whole process and the whole point of all this was to be okay for the sport, for basically the health of humanity, to be okay if a player comes down with a virus, to have the protocols, quarantine them as soon as possible. But we're three days in and the Marlins are showing that there are some holes with this whole procedure. That's gonna do it for episode
0: one of the Baseball from Home podcast. Joe, it has been fun. And I think really the summation of this whole episode can be basically this. And I I I think we're both on the same page. I think the Cubs and Sox are still fine given where we thought they should be toward the end of the year. Sox gotta prove to be healthy after all this, and that includes Aloy Jimenez, first and foremost. And the Cubs, for the most part, need to keep doing what they did against the Milwaukee Brewers.
1: Yeah, it's uh, very promising with everything that the Cubs showed this past weekend. Most things were promising for the White Sox. I think fans are still going to hate Ricky Renneria's lineups no matter what they are, but uh, we're here to hopefully just, just calm you down or, or amp you up, you know, whatever whatever you want to go with.
0: We're a podcast for all listeners. It is the Baseball From Home podcast. He's Joe Brand. I'm Connor McKnight. We will be back on Friday morning. We'll get a whole nother four games of baseball for the podcast. Uh, Four times 2.7. I'm not allowed to do math on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Rate and review. Thanks to Lawrence and the House of L. We'll catch you Friday morning.